Hey, look, it's the Basketball Reasons Podcast. For today's episode of the pod, I brought along a good friend of mine, Adam Richardson. He works in collegiate athletics, is a very knowledgeable about college sports and college basketball specifically, does a lot of research, watches a lot of tape. So I thought it'd be good to have him on and discuss the 2018 NBA draft, a little bit about the draft and a, a lot about the Lakers draft picks. Uh, and we actually ended up doing the exact opposite of that, uh, going at length, ad nauseum about the draft in general. So we're going to split this one up into two parts. Today's episode, uh, we're going to go over the top five picks uh, Adam's favorite picks of the draft and the trades that went down on draft night and, and Wednesday we're going to sort of delve a little bit deeper into his opinion and my opinion of the Lakers draft night specifically uh, but for now uh, enjoy some story time we go over why DeAndre Jordan underwhelmed at Texas A&M uh, Lauren and Drew Holiday's origin story uh, and we delve into the past and discuss the Steve Nash trade a little bit so here's part one this man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever. Oh, no. What is up, Laker Nation? Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Reasons Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Diamond, a.k.a. the Black Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Leroy Tolstoy, a.k.a. 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 But you can call me Rick for short. I am here today for a little draft review podcast. Uh, with a good friend of mine, dear friend, longtime friend, Mr. Adam Richardson. Adam, say what's up to the people. What is going on, Laker Nation and everybody else? How y'all doing? No, we don't say hi to everybody else on this podcast, Adam. We only say hi to the Lakers fans. Uh, well, to address Laker fans, I'll try to hide my allegiance, my NBA allegiance. Uh, it won't take long for them to soon realize that uh might be a little uh, rivalry going on here with, with my team. Well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. All right, we'll get there. Um, so we're here today to talk about the draft. Uh, this is a this is a front office podcast, so obviously the draft is a is a huge huge part of what we do. Um, and also, it's it's a Lakers pod, and I think the Lakers had a, a pretty good draft. Uh, we'll get to that later, much later. Talk about the Lakers picks. That'll be the last thing we talk about. Uh, but before then, since I have you know such a great basketball mind on the pod with me right now, I just thought we'd start big picture. And funnel in like a like a pyramid, like an upside down pyramid, a hierarchy, if you will. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll start big picture, start wide, um, and then hone in. Uh, so we're going to talk about the first few picks, the first uh, five picks or so of the draft, how they shook out, um, uh, any, any of our thoughts. Then we'll zone in a little bit harder on the trades that have happened, the three trades that happened in the, in the first round. Uh, that's the Atlanta Dallas trade, uh, the Atlanta. Uh, Phoenix trade uh, and the LA Clippers Charlotte Hornets trade. Uh, then we're going to go over some of Adam's sort of sleeper picks, some of his favorite picks, and I'll, I'll chime in there myself. And then we'll hit home and on the Lakers picks. Sound good to you, Adam? Sounds good to me. All right. So let's get into it, man. Uh, first five picks. Number one, DeAndre Aiden. Two, goes to Phoenix. Excuse me. Second, Marvin Bagley goes to the Kings. Third, Doncic to the Hawks. Four Jaron Jackson to the Grizzlies and five Trey Young to the Mavs. Now I feel like Bamba going to the Magic's important, and we 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 can go we can go to that if we need to. But I, I want to hear your thoughts. I feel like we knew DeAndre Ayton was going to go one, and in throughout the day we we heard that Bagley was going to go two. Um, what what you, do you think that that was the right thing to do? You think because we had so much build up to it, do you think it was sort of anticlimactic? Yeah, I definitely. So this is one thing that I noticed about the draft this year and. Uh, you know, reading, I do a lot of research, I do a lot of mocks and things like that, just listening to local media as well as national guys. This year in particular, the, a lot of these picks that were made were very well slotted and very well reported. 
ahead of time, who teams liked, who they wanted, who they were kind of honing in on. And it's interesting to me because that stuff is very intentional by teams. You know, they don't, you know, they have the list of who they bring in to work out, but they don't really tell things unless they kind of want that information out. So credit to all the reporters who got that info ahead of time. Um, in terms of the picks, so this is why I said it's not going to take too long for me to get into my allegiance. I am a Phoenix Suns fan. Uh, oh, wow. The, uh, <laughs> I know, man. Ever since the uh, Steve Nash, Raja Bell, Sean Marion, uh, Mari Stoudemire, Boris Diaw days. That is what got me on the uh, on the Phoenix Suns train. So I will say, Aiden at number one, I'm glad we did not mess this up. He's just too much of a physical specimen for us to pass up on. Um, I think if there are any questions about him, it would be on the defensive end as well as kind of his just motivation you know he's such a physical specimen and can dominate games with relative ease that sometimes he tends to drift a little bit um but again he's such a good player and such a talent he drifted to 24 double doubles this season which is the (laughs) most the most since Michael Beasley uh back in 2007 so I mean I'm glad we didn't overthink it glad we didn't mess this up and it's interesting that the coach that we hired, I don't remember his name off the top of my head or probably couldn't pronounce it properly anyway, Coach Doncic while he was overseas, um, and we still went with Aiden here. Um, so Igor Kokoskov, uh, like you said, Coach Doncic overseas, and I felt like when they hired uh, Kokoskov, it was sort of like a, it was almost like a, oh, well, they're definitely going to draft Doncic now. Um, and people were sort of looking at the fit of, of Booker and Doncic and Jackson. And they, the, the Suns, like you said, you know, leaked information or, you know, were intentional about, uh, you know, letting letting people know that, no, no, Aiton is really what we're looking at. For those reasons, you said the sort of defensive anchor uh, to, to, to hold the court down. What did you think about the fit between Booker, Doncic and, and, and Jackson as the sort of would the, those would have been the three guys? Um, did you think that would have worked? Do you think fit is a reason that they they went with Aiden, or do you think they were just looking like, oh man, this dude's seven feet, huge athlete, got the lateral quickness. Here we have a ball handler, a wing, and a big uh, as our three building blocks for the I, Well, two things there. I think first, I think once you get Aiden into the building and you start working him out, like they obviously were going to do and did, you you just can't pass. It's one of those situations where he comes and he works out, and it's like there could be other great players available in the draft, and this year there definitely were. But you just can't pass on a guy, um, a specimen like Aiden. You really just can't. Um, so that's why I said earlier, I'm glad we didn't mess it up. And we're, we might be skipping ahead a few picks here. but So I am not actually the biggest fan of Donkic as a prospect. Um, oh, wow. Uh, Rarely said. So I just, you know, <sighs> you watch his tape, and I've watched a lot of his tape. That's actually what I did right before the draft started this year. I watched like 12 minutes of Donkic tape, and I always do it. I forget who taught me how to do this, but you watch tape, you watch it without volume. If you want to watch, if you want to watch an, an interesting way to watch an NBA game to see who's a better team, cut all the volume and just watch the basketball. And when I see Doncic, I see, you know, he looks athletically, he's just not there, and he can get there. He absolutely can. He's got a lot of qualities, kind of intangibly, that are setting him up well to be there. And again, he's very young, but he looks a step slow in Euro League. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. you know you come you watch his tape and you go man that guy's like not blowing by people and not really the biggest you know the biggest or best athlete and so I think that's really gonna hold him back not only is he a huge liability on the defensive end in the NBA but 
he's also a little positionless. You know, he, he's got some qualities and some court vision where you could say, oh, well, let's put him at the point. Well, he's 6'8", and you can't really play a guy that's 6'8 and not quick at the point. You can play Ben Simmons there, but Ben Simmons has great length and has great quickness and actually has a lot of good defensive, um, you know, defensive tendencies. Uh, Donkic, to me, you know, he's not an elite shooter. He's not an elite scorer. He's not an elite passer. He's just a, he looks like a very good player, and especially with a number one pick and even in the top three, I, I'm looking for great. I'm looking for things that he can do that others cannot. And you have to be in the body of an elite athlete to compete on that level in the NBA. And I just, I, I haven't seen it from him yet. He is young. He could develop. And I could be eating my words many years from now, but I just, I don't see it in Donkic. I think if you had put him next to Booker and Jackson, to go back to your original question, that, you know, Jackson to me is, I love Jackson. I think he's got those athletic tendencies, and I think he can develop into a player where he's occupying that that three spot for us for a really long time. So, I mean, I think it's great we were able to get a big in Aiton. We were looking for a point guard as well at some point in the draft. We took one with the first pick of the second round, French guy, who I hadn't seen much of. But, I, you know, I'm happy with the Aiton pick, and I, I'm, I'm glad we're not trying to figure out what to do with Dockage at this point. The point guard that the Suns drafted, Elliot Kobo, that's uh, that's a guy who a lot of Lakers fans were hoping we would snag uh, either either late in the first or early in the second with that pick that we bought from Philadelphia. You made a good point about sort of not really knowing where Doncic can play. I think it's really telling that Atlanta had an opportunity to draft him and, and traded down in effect in order to draft Trey Young. And, and I think that was also very intentional because, you know, you draft Trey Young and then 14 picks later, you pick Kevin Herter. And it's very obvious that they're like, okay, we can have this sort of 6'9 ball handling wing in Doncic where, you know, people people around basketball are, are always talking about how in vogue positionless basketball is and how, how important it is to have skilled wings. And, and Atlanta says, no, I think we're just going to try and recreate the Splash Brothers with Trey Young and, and Kevin Herter, the Splash, splash Babies or, or something like that. I think it's I think it's interesting, and I think that's a risk. I don't know if it's a risk note necessarily, but I think that's a that's something that Dallas was much more willing to a problem. Dallas was much more willing to accommodate uh, because Dallas is really, you know, like what even if you line Doncic up with Dennis Smith, uh, you know, Doncic is going to handle the ball. I think Dallas would be. I think Rick Carlisle will be ecstatic to get the ball out of Dennis Smith's hands more than it was last year not to not anything bad about Dennis Smith but I think we all know you know he's a little inefficient you know he's a little turnover prone and I think allowing Dennis Smith to sort of come into his own without all of the playmaking responsibilities will one make him a better player and two make Dallas a better team so I think they can sort of take that risk I think one of the things too I've been seeing a lot is is people saying you know we don't know what Doncic's ceiling is like it could be really high or it could be you know whatever but we know his floor is low. So I, people have been saying, like, you know, Doncic is a, a tall guy who can play on the wing, uh, isn't a spectacular, you know, athlete in terms of explosiveness or, or lateral quickness. But, you know, he he could learn how to defend at an NBA level. And, and basically people are saying, you know, a tall wing who can shoot and can learn how to defend on an NBA level, his floor is Joe Ingles. That's what people have been saying. And that Joe Ingles is a good NBA player. Joe Ingles might be a great NBA player. Uh, not great, great, but you know he's plug and play anywhere at any time. You want Joe Ingles on your team, 
but I don't know if I'm picking Joe Ingles third in the yeah. NBA draft. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point you make about sliding next to Dennis Smith. I hadn't really thought too much about that. Um, I mean, credit to both front offices, though. I mean, if you're Atlantic, <laughs> both are kind of starting from scratch, really. I mean, if you're looking at Dallas's roster, I mean, how many guys are in your long-term plan that are currently on that roster? Like Dennis Smith and who else? <laughs> like, you know, your big contracts, Barnes, Matthews, those guys aren't, you know, Barnes, Barnes is a scorer and is a starting NBA three, but not really if you're looking future. Like, Donkic is a guy that you can slide in and kind of build around. Um, and I think with Atlanta, too, shout out to Atlanta for picking my, my guy from Wake Forest, John Collins, last year. But, yeah, I mean, to, to get Trey Young for them, I mean, and, and that's another one that came out. I mean, came out in the media like two weeks before the two, three weeks before the draft. Atlanta wants Trey Young. I mean, that was well-documented, well-reported. Um, so for them to be able to have their pick, trade it, get a future first, and get their guy, I mean, all, all credit to them for sure. While we're talking about NBA teams leaking information, I'm going to go on this quick aside, and then we're going to get back to the, the the two power forwards we didn't talk about yet. I absolutely love this this media war that's going on between teams. Specifically, I'm talking about the Spurs and the Lakers, how they keep uh, leaking information to different reporters, basically like playing jousting, playing tug of war with information for Kawhi. The Spurs are leaking like, hey, we're, we, we're really going to try to fix the situation. Uh, we're really not trying to trade Kawhi. Uh, we really don't want to trade him to the Lakers. Meanwhile, the Lakers aren't reaching out saying, hey, you know, Lonzo's really beefing up in the gym. Hey, Kuz is doing three days at the, at the practice facility. Hey, we really like our young guys, whether, whether uh, any stars come or not. And meanwhile, they have had no discussions directly. It's like a <laughs> passive-aggressive uh, high school cafeteria uh, with regards to this trade. I absolutely love it. Uh, I only wish uh, LeBron was already on the Lakers so he could engage in this passive-aggressiveness too because we all know my he's fa- a passive My favorite leak of the year is from you guys too is when uh, – when Woj released the story a couple weeks ago that LeBron and Paul George need to talk. Like, what? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, the Lakers are not – subtlety is not their uh, not their specialty when it comes to these media releases. Not at all. Hey, magic just gets it done, man. That's all that, that's all that matters. <laughs> absolutely. He absolutely does. All right, so we skipped over Bagley and Jackson. I want to get back to those guys a little bit. I want to need your help a little bit because – I've I, I haven't watched that. I'm, this is terrible. I haven't watched that much Jaron Jackson tape. Uh, I've only a little bit, and I I get I get Bagley right. Like w- before, I really watched him. I I always thought that like okay, this dude is a a, a skilled Julius Randle with a jump shot. That was my understanding, and I guess that opinion has sort of gotten a little bit more refined w- with the tape that I've watched. But I still don't really know Jaron Jackson's game that much. But with regards to the draft, I think one. Bagley was a guy who didn't mind going to Sacramento, and I think that had just as much of an effect of where he got drafted as his ability yeah, as a player. Oh, absolutely. And my, my favorite thing about Bagley is, I mean, he's an offensive wizard. I mean, it's and, – and Jay Billis pointed this out during a broadcast tonight. There was something about his offensive game that I just couldn't pick up and until Jay Billis pointed it out, and now I see it every time I watch his tape. He has his, – his first – his burst off the floor – his first step, especially on the offensive glass, when a shot is coming off the rim, I mean, it's it's it might be better than anyone in the NBA. I mean, it's insane how quickly a shot comes off the rim and he is up and getting the ball, either getting it or slamming it back home. He is, yeah, I mean, he's incredible on the offensive glass. He's got a wide array of post moves, um, and he can extend it all the way out to three-point line for sure. Um, the Jaron Jackson thing, I sent out some tweets about this a couple weeks ago. It's not that I don't think that Jaron Jackson is a solid prospect. 
I mean, I think he's a good prospect. He does a lot of things well. He's got legit size. He's got legit defensive potential. He had, I know he had a very high number in terms of blocks per game this year. Um, pull up the stats. Yeah, three three blocks per game mm-hmm. uh, in 21, 21 minutes a night, which is yeah. pretty darn impressive. Um, I think with Jaron Jackson, and I talked about it a little bit with Donkic earlier, that nothing pops off the screen about him. He There's nothing that he does well. If you go down the list of these top prospects, Aiden's size, Bagley's scoring ability, Donkic's vision, Trey Young's shooting, Bamba's length, Sexton's quickness. Like, there's nothing about Jaron Jackson that stands out. There's no great skill about his game. Um, I know teams were excited. He's very young. Again, his ability to contribute on both ends. His father is an NBA player. Um, that's a big thing that teams like to see. Um, but I, you know, I'm kind of with you in that you watch the tape and it's like, yeah, this guy looks like a solid athlete. He looks pretty, like he could be pretty good one day. Um, and, you know, I, I found an interesting comparison for him. And I'll harken back to a couple of drafts ago, and I'll ask you if you remember this. Do you remember all the hype around Marvin Williams that year? Not, not comparing them as prospects, but he was just like this young guy who was good at a lot, not great at anything. And everyone said, man, if he puts it all together, he could really be a great player. Yeah, I, I see a lot of that with Jaron Jackson. It's like, there's nothing about his skill set that makes me think one day he's going to be anywhere near the level of impact that the rest of these guys really in the top 10 can provide. So uh, I'll be interested to see how he develops. I think Memphis is an okay fit. You know, the reports that came out that he was more and more comfortable with going to them. I know Bickerstaff is a, a great coach um, and is a real, you know, player friendly guy that probably was the one that convinced him to come to Memphis and be comfortable there. But um, it'll be interesting to watch him him develop because I'm kind of with you in that. I just I I I don't know. In, in terms of fit, I think it'll be interesting if they if they sort of throw him into the fire and they're like, okay, now you you just go play with Mark Gasol and Mike Conley uh, because Mark Gasol can can make plays from outside the arc, like not not just as a as a shooter, but also he's a great great very skilled passer. He's got great vision. Um, and Jaron Jackson can shoot the three, so he can sort of be outside. Uh, the arc as well. So operating with two bigs out of the paint, you know, Mike Conley is a great point guard, but he's also a very strong point guard. He's one of the better guard post players as a guard in the league. So I, I, I'm envisioning them sort of running like an inverted offense a little bit, but also I just don't know. Uh, Jaron Jackson, the one player comparison that I saw a bunch was Serge Ibaka. And I don't know if that's because of the way they play or it's just people are like, he shoots threes and he blocks shots. So Serge Ibaka. Um, but, that's that's. I mean, I could see that as more of a ceiling type of situation. Like, yeah. I, if he develops, he can be because Serge Ibaka was. Did he make an all? He was a borderline all star. I don't think he ever made an all star game, but he was like fourteen, ten, and three blocks for a couple of years there. I mean, he was a quality uh, NBA player for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think also it has a lot to do with this is something I talk about on the pod all the time. It has a lot to do with how you're used in your situation, right? So like in Oklahoma City, you know, we were like, oh, God, this guy is really promising. Like, this is going to be great. And then stint with Orlando, just not even didn't even I don't even want to talk about. And then Toronto spent a lot of time just like straight up spotting up, which is not really how he was used in Oklahoma City. So a lot of it's a lot of it's fit and how you're used. So hopefully Jaron Jackson can sort of overcome that. Uh I I like you said, man, I just I just don't know. Um but hey, that's what we're here for. I think I would have rather had Mo Bamba there uh if I'm the Grizzlies just because I, I know that's probably a little a little more of a reach because Bamba's like a lot more raw a lot more raw than Jaron Jackson. 
But I feel like potential wise, like that dude is cra- like he could be anything. Rudy Gobert with a three point shot is what everyone's saying. Um, so I, you know, I think he could have been someone who can learn from from Marcus off, learn from the veterans, but also uh, sort of be be a guy who can really be a centerpiece for the future. Um, but I'm not a scout. Uh, last 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 quick point on Jaron Jackson. I thought we in the like in those who follow the draft learned our lesson last year with Lonzo Ball. We've called Jaron Jackson a great shooter. He shot 39%. That's the narrative, right? Yeah. He shot 2.7 attempts per game from the college three. Like, come on. Now, he was 80% from the foul line. As a big guy, that's impressive. And he's got the mechanics. He's got a good-looking shot. But you remember the Lonzo Ball narrative from last year, 41%, 41%. How many times did you hear pundits say 41% from three? I was shooting about he was shooting about four and a half or five attempts from the college three. Make like in order to be a great shooter to me, you have to shoot a you know. There's got to be volume there. Jaron Jackson calling him a great shooter because he was thirty nine percent on two two point seven attempts a game is just like maybe I don't know, but I that 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 point about Jackson is it, it's actually more of a point about the media like looking at the statistics a little more carefully. Um, that has kind of irked me a little bit throughout the process, but I digress. Let's uh, let's continue. That was a really good point, actually. Thank you. That that was a great close to the top five discussion. Uh, that was twenty minutes. That was twenty solid minutes uh, of, of of analysis there. Um, so now let let's get into the front office moves. I'm sort of a front office nerd. I like trades a lot. I like I like the the narrative the, the the trail of draft picks moving uh through trades so let's talk about these trades uh that happened in the first round we already sort of touched on one uh Dallas Mavericks traded the fifth pick to Atlanta and a protected 2019 first round pick uh for the third overall pick which was Luka Doncic we talked about it enough it, do you have anything else to say the only thing the only other thing I'll say is it's really interesting to me I, I don't I think the 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 Mavs uh, pick the protected first round pick was like top ten or, or top top top. T- I think it was top ten. I'm trying to look it up now. I just think the it's so interesting the the price it costs to move up two picks in, in that in that top five range because obviously top five picks of the draft like that that that's huge. Um, like three to five is a huge a huge jump up. You know, you're, you're going from you know starter level player to what you hope is a, a franchise altering player. Um, but it's only interesting to me because the Sixers. <laughs> traded a protected first round pick to move up six spots in a range that's not nearly as impactful um so any last any last thoughts on the hawks mavericks trade before we get to the sixers no i just i'll be interested like you said i'll be interested to see the protection on it because if you're so if you're atlanta it's kind of a win-win right trey young's your guy if the pick is protected next year it's okay you still got your guy right you just picked him at five and saved yourself a little money um or, you know, picking in that slot. But when it comes to um, the Dallas side of it, or the, um, yeah, the Dallas side of it, do you see them being outside the top 10 draft picks next year? Uh, uh, absolutely not. Like, that's a that's going to be, <laughs> like, no matter what, that's going to be, like, they're not making the playoffs. That's a lottery pick. And they're probably, yeah. they might not be that bad. But if you, if the Hawks get the 11th, 12th pick, okay, that's a start, that's a good player. Like they must really love Luka Doncic because they just said, hey, here's Trey Young and the opportunity to draft a a solid rotation level player for years to come to go along with, you know, Trey Young and Kevin Herter and John Collins and Torian Prince. Like, whoa. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and for Dallas too. Well, it's kind of like the NFL, the NFL and quarterbacks. If you end up getting a franchise guy in Doncic, it doesn't matter what you gave up. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like if he's your guy, who cares? You know, it's like the Carson, the Carson Wentz thing is a great example. No one's ever going to remember how many first and seconds Philadelphia gave up to get Carson Wentz. All they know is they got their guy. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and in that same thread, though, I think you were right initially when you said, you know, it, Atlanta got an extra asset and they got their guy. They just Danny Ainge to the Mavericks. Like, <laughs> like, can we make that a verb? Is that can we can we Ainge people from here on out? I like this. Absolutely a verb. Like set in stone. Like there's, I, I just think, uh, obviously this is hindsight, right? But but I just think if you know a team is going to draft a guy or they want a specific guy, you gotta you gotta like squeeze that a little bit harder. Like you knew they wanted Trey Young, and you gave up a your, your top ten protected for, like a first round pick that's guaranteed to convey. Basically, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's guaranteed to convey. That's actually a good segue. Let's let's jump down and do the uh, if it's okay with you. Let's jump down and do the Clippers and Charlotte deal because I have lots of questions about this on multiple levels. Um, number one being, I don't really know, and you're the front office nerd, so you might be able to tell me. But when you have a situation when it's just one pick ahead. And you take the guy that you know that the you know the pick below you wants, and then you squeeze them for two picks later. Is that not a situation where you're setting yourself up to be kind of a well-known jerk to deal with in trade dealings? <laughs> like, I understand if there's a gap in the picks, right? And there's a you know there's significant impact, but like if uh, Bridges is your guy at eleven, and they want Shea at twelve, just take your guy. <laughs> I mean, how do you like where do you land on this in terms of like in, in second round picks we all know that the value of second round picks are worth about as much as that pizza i ate earlier but like <laughs> like how, how do you feel about like squeezing them for for that pick in that situation look i'll say this the hornets new gm is mitch kupchak oh, who is very familiar to lakers fans mitch kupchak has a a, a history of like the the Kwame Brown trade, sort of trading like a, a Mark Gasol who looks like the fat kid from Rebound, the Martin Lawrence basketball movie, um, to, to get and, and Kwame Brown to get Pal Gasol. That is a fleecing. So Mitch Kupchak has a way of of doing these things. That's like, how did he just pull that off? But at the same thread, he also has a way of completely getting fleeced, as in that Steve Nash trade. Well, you know, it, it, that's that's hindsight. No one could predict the injuries. But but point being, Mitch Kupchak is an excellent negotiator. I think that's that was genius. Like that was just genius, and and especially because you know the Clippers. He probably still has a little bit of animosity for the Clippers, right? He probably doesn't. Probably wants to squeeze the Clippers out a little bit. Once a Laker, always a Laker. Uh, so I just thought it was really interesting. Um, but at the same time. You got to look at it from uh, from the Clippers' perspective too, because Shea Gilgis Alexander, like that was the only point guard taken until Aaron Holiday at twenty three. So you got to imagine that the drop off between, like, they're not going to pick uh, Bridges or they're not going to pick Jerome Robertson and Aaron Holiday with twelve and thirteen because Aaron Holiday is not going to be picked up that way. Uh, so that, it would just be harder. They would have to trade down. I sort of get it. But at the same time, it's like you got to think about who you're trading with, right? Like Jerry West and, and and Lawrence Frank and that sort of new revamped front office looking to make a splash. Jerry West is an excellent talent talent evaluator, right? And, you know, granted, second round picks aren't a lot. I wish I had this in front of me right now. I would love to know what Jerry West has done in terms of second rounders uh, it, it, with his draft history. Um, 
I think you raise a good point, though. It's almost just like a slap in the face a little bit. I, like, I can't imagine that Jerry West and Lawrence Frank will be getting a beer with Mitch Kupchak anytime soon. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's not happening. Exactly. Um, that third trade? Uh, the third yeah, first round trade? Yeah, because this, to me, is a is a beautiful... This is just NBA full circle. This This is... This is like draft porn for me right now because we're going to go back in time a little bit, right? Uh, and this, I'm so glad that I have you on for this because this is amazing. Because in 2012, the Los Angeles Lakers traded two second-round picks and two first-round picks for Steve Nash, right? W- one of those first-round picks uh, was Archie Goodwin. Yeah, whatever. Um, no disrespect to Archie Goodwin. But the other first-round pick the Lakers traded was a 2015 Top five protected first round pick, right? But we were so bad that we drafted D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. Then in 2016, it remained protected. So we drafted Brandon Ingram. And then in 2017, it, we were still so bad that we kept it and we drafted Lonzo Ball. Yep. So six years after the Nash trade, right, this pick is finally getting picked. However, we didn't even go over the, the, the path that this pick took because the, the Suns had this this protected first round pick from the Lakers for 2015. They used that to trade for Brandon Knight from the Milwaukee Bucks, giving the Milwaukee Bucks that. It pick. hurts. It hurts my soul because I don't. I I, st- I still <laughs> I still really don't understand. That was 2015. That was a 2015 trade deadline, right? Correct. So they had they, they had Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic, and who else was on the the Suns at that time as a point Eric guard? Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe. So you had three <laughs> point guards. And and they they wait they went ass backwards into being good. They won forty some games by accident as they were trying to tank because they traded away Marcin Gortat, right? So they yep. <laughs> they 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 mess up tanking. They walk ass backwards into a, a five hundred season, and now all of a sudden you have three point guards. So Goran Dragic is pissed, and for some reason you get rid of Isaiah Thomas and bring in another point guard. Don't understand. Um, so the Bucks get the top five protected pick. From the Suns, the Lakers top five protected pick. So the Bucks are going along, obviously, you know, trying to make something out of nothing because they're the Bucks. Um, and then the Phil- the Sam Hinkie Philadelphia 76ers draft a young man by the name of Michael Carter Williams, who wins rookie of the year, youngest rookie to ever get a triple double, breaks that record. And Sam Hinkie goes, hey, uh, actually don't really like this guy and <laughs> trades him after winning rookie of the year to Milwaukee for that Lakers top 2015 top five protected pick. Wow. Right. So now Philadelphia has the Lakers' top five 2015 protected pick, which obviously it's not the 2015 protected pick anymore because by this time it's like 2015. So then draft night, Thursday night, the Philadelphia 76ers, with that Lakers pick, draft Mikhail Bridges. And then... They traded back to Phoenix. the pick back. <laughs> Phoenix trades a wow. 2021 first round pick from the Miami Heat to Philadelphia for the pick that they had in the first place. I don't I don't think I could ever get a job in an NBA front office because I don't think I could ever just sit down and say, "Yeah, um I'm a trade I'm gonna give up an extra asset to trade for that pick that I traded because I accidentally won 40 wins." Ryan McDonough, Robert Sarver. I'm sorry. This is like, Adam, I don't know if you know, I often go on rants against the Suns front office, so I apologize. This, I'll put it kindly, this was sloppily handled. <laughs> That's bananas. I, You know, I had no idea. I'm glad you, brought, you took me through that whole thing because I had no idea that that is where the pick 
originated. I had no idea. It's, that's where it like started out and came from. It, it's it's only funny because you know you gotta <laughs> think about it. The Lakers traded for Steve Nash and got Dwight Howard and traded for Dwight Howard. Had Dwight, Kobe, Steve Nash, and Pau Gasol had the cover of Sports Illustrated. This is gonna be fun. That pick was never supposed to live until 2018 by mere happenstance because Dwight and Kobe couldn't get along uh, uh, because Steve Nash you know deteriorated after who was it who was it he ran into somebody. I forgot. Uh, yeah, I remember. I don't right. remember. Yeah. Anyway, so this wasn't even supposed to happen. We're not even supposed to get here. And then Philly uses that pick to draft the hometown kid from Villanova, Mikhail Bridges, whose mom works in Wells Fargo Center, who's had a locker in Wells Fargo Center, drafts him. Him and his mom are getting interviewed on ESPN crying because they're so happy. And then Phoenix <laughs> calls and goes, hey, can we get that pick back? And Philly's like, hell yeah, you can get the pick back. <laughs> I am hurt. I'm hurt. Oh, they did him so dirty on national television in front of everyone. They took him and then they sent him. Oh, like, man. It's uh, not uh, funny, but damn, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to know, uh, and that was another one where Zaire Smith was a guy that reports came out that they love Zaire Smith early. They could have just taken him and avoided the whole situation. But nope, had to fleece Phoenix one more time just to get their guy. Unbelievable. I gotta respect it. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sentimental. I'm very sentimental. Uh, I don't like what happened to Mikael Bridges and his family. That that rubs me the wrong way. I mean, it's a business. I get it. I understand it. But like, that was all. I mean, it wasn't like this at all. But it, it kind of like I was like, man, this is kind of like this is Danny Ainge esque because this is like Isaiah Thomas playing on a hip that needs surgery the day after his sister dies, and then you're like, oh snap, Kyrie's available. Peace out, it. Um. <laughs> But at the same time, it's like Philly, you know, you you hired a guy named Sam Hankey who was sort of very methodical, very black and white, looked at everything like an equation, did did, did burn bridges, didn't really build relationships because he was always on the quest for that extra asset. And I feel like it's really interesting that they don't they they fired Hankey. Sorry, excuse me, excuse me. They hired Brian Colangelo as an advisor and then Hankey resigned. Uh and then Brian Colangelo gets laid off for something we're not even gonna discuss right now. Um, and Brett Brown, the head coach, who's also operating as, you know, president of basketball operations makes this trade, which is a very, very forward thinking trade, right? Like it's not in a coach's makeup to, to take, to have in hand, a, a Mikhail Bridges, a plug and play polished three and D wing who fits directly into your situation with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and, and Dario Saric. Who who offers shooting and the type of switchability that you need, and say actually I'm going to trade him because the Suns want to give us this freak athlete who's going to take development and this first round pick. I just thought that was a really hinky esque move. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I mean, credit to Brett Brown. I mean, all credit to Brett Brown. It's it's kind of funny. I don't even see, I don't even see it basketball wise. I think Bridges fits better in Philly, and I think Zaire Smith, talent wise, probably fits better in Phoenix. But I, you know. Credit credit to them. I mean, the Bridges and Phoenix thing, as a Suns fan, I mean, I think he's a good player. I think he's probably a bench player, an NBA bench player, you know, a guy who can come in and score off the bench. But we've got two, a two and a three. You know what I mean? Like, we're he's not a starter for us. Like, we're trading first for guys that aren't going to be starters for us. Like, I, I'm, I'm not really sure about it from a basketball. I mean, Zaire Smith is a guy that we liked in workouts, too, to come off the bench and kind of be a three and D wing. I guess we probably saw Bridges as just, a better version of 
of Zaire Smith in terms of what he can do off the bench. But I, you know, it's interesting. It seemed like Bridges really did fit in that three spot for Philly, for sure. Yeah, and and like you said, the the fit with the Suns is a little weird too because Mikael Bridges is like you said, he's a, he's a polished player, not not like not a crazy amount of upside. <clears throat> can sort of come in and just hit shots and play defense, but that's really a pick or a player, I should say, that's more of a fit with a team that's ready to compete, Absolutely. so to speak. Absolutely. And, and it just makes me curious. I always have my, my tinfoil hat on uh, when it comes to NBA. Like maybe the Suns think that they're further along than they are. Maybe they maybe they're going to do something with that cap space. Maybe they're going to try and you know, I, I don't know, do something interesting uh, this off season because, like you said. You know, you think about a dude like Zaire running the floor with Devin Booker and Josh Jackson. Yeah. Like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, and and it's more of a line, more of a line with the timeline that we think Phoenix is on. But yeah, that, that's a that trade to me is there's just so much happening. I might start another podcast later called the Mikhail Bridges trade, uh, and just and just document <laughs> up stuff that happens to, <laughs> to draft because Jesus, that's hey, we, hey, we're um, ta- hey, don't don't sleep on the Suns though. Devin Booker averaged twenty five a game, twenty four point nine points a game this year. He's twenty one years old. Don't sleep on us. I mean, we're he could be the he could be an MVP of the league. I I, I firmly believe that one day he could be an MVP. How many? How many, I would love to look up a stat. How many guys in the last twenty years have averaged twenty five a game at age twenty one? Actually, yeah, I would love to look that up too. That that number is very. That's like that's a list yeah, of greats, probably. Absolutely. Sorry, had to had, had to plug my squad real. No, of course. You know what's you know what's funny? Uh, there's there's a, a a guy at my job, a, a Sixers fan, a friend of mine, uh, <laughs> a Sixers fan who was also very upset about the Mikael Bridges trade. Um, but he he said, you know, if this is this is a complete Laker fantasy aside, he's like, you know, if the Lakers get LeBron and Paul George, and LeBron says, look, I'm not dealing with Lonzo Ball. I mean, Levar Ball. I need you to trade Lonzo and Ingram for Devin Booker. Who says no? Me, Adam Rich. My, yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what I was. I was like, I think the Sun, Suns fans would definitely say no because Devin Booker's cold. Yeah, I, I don't. I, that that we, we can talk about the we we can touch on the, the 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 Lakers situation as we get to their picks, but don't 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 rile me up like that. Don't rile me up. With, I saw something out there, Devin Booker for the number two pick, so they can trade Doncic. I was like, are you out of your mind? Not a chance. Not a chance. There's, there's, no, I, there's maybe, I don't even. There's maybe th- f- five players that you trade Devin Booker for, and those are the t- best five players in the league. Like Devin Booker's cold, and he's going to be cold for a long. Like they just, they don't make them like that anymore. You know? All right. So we, <laughs> I think that was like 15 minutes of trade talk. <laughs> I, I kind of went off on that Philly theme. Wow. That that blows my mind. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Um, Keep in mind, though. Sorry, j- j- before we move on. So now, th- now that that uh that Heat pick, that's a 2021 first round pick. So now we gotta wait for the 2021 Heat, the 2021 draft for this uh Steve Nash trade to be completely done for this this decision tree to to die and fall onto the ground. Well, you know who could get that pick too is they they the theory is they're stockpiling assets to get Kawhi at the trade deadline. That's another reason why they might have stashed that first round pick. If the Spurs get that pick, <laughs> I'm just saying, and and pick someone amazing with that pick that the Lakers gave up for Steve Nash, I think that would like Greg Popovich could die a happy man. I think that would be. Yep. All right. So before we get to the Lakers picks, because we got we got we got three to to discuss. 
Um, I just wanted to get your opinions, quick five, 10 minutes on any picks that you thought you were like, man, that is a, a great steal or a great pickup or, or anything like that. Um, yeah. So I, I, I put down three names when you told me that we were going to talk, talk through these. And I think one or I think two of them are relative, you know, layups, um, if you will. Um, I'm not sure about the fit. And quite honestly, I don't like when it comes to the Denver Nuggets roster, I just, I, <laughs> they have this like crazy tendency to stockpile like above average player. Like I feel like they have eight Wilson Chandlers on their roster. I, I just, I can't keep up with how like good, but not great of a roster that they managed to put together. That aside, I think Michael Porter, I would have taken Michael Porter number two in this draft. I think Michael, I would have, Whoa. I said it, I thought he was going to go to apparently Sacramento loved him. I think were it not for the Embiid and Simmons situations in terms of, coming in with injury concerns and just being able to sit until you're ready. That really wasn't a thing until, at least in the recent NBA, until Embiid and Simmons just decided to do it. I think Michael Porter has the game to, I think is the game to be the best player that comes out of this draft. You watch him, the the way that he shoots the ball, the way that he can score from all three levels and the fluidity with which he plays for his size. I mean, I think he could be, He's got the potential to be a scoring champion. He's got the potential to be one of those perennial all-star type guys. He is. He has it. You know. You look at this roster of all these one and dones. These these guys that played one year and came out. People just forget. You know. People just have such short memories. They forget what a what a quality player Porter is. He was the MVP of the McDonald's All American game, and he really does. He plays like a guard, and he's almost six eleven. I, I think for today's NBA. Porter is, I think Porter is the guy. Um, so credit to Denver for taking him. Again, they were almost a playoff team this year. So I, you know, you could sit him the whole year for Denver. I think they have at least eleven or twelve guys that are under, you know, that are that are signed under guaranteed contracts, and they were almost a playoff team this year without Paul Millsap for a large part of the year. So I, you know, you could sit him for a year, and you could have yourself one of the best players in the draft. So. Did I did I take you aback a little bit by saying I would have taken Porter number two? Yeah, a little bit. I I, I definitely remember Sacramento sort of saying that they liked him. I, I think at the same time, um, I, I think at the same time, Michael Porter is one of those picks where, like, you look at you look at the Nuggets, like everything above the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Hornets, the Sixers. I, I mean, maybe not the Hornets actually. Um, but but all of those teams, they sort of they need like they need anything. The Sun, not anything, but like the Suns. DeAndre Aiden, that's what they needed. It felt him. But like the Kings need anything. The Hawks need anything. The Grizzlies needed anything. The Mavs need anything. Orlando, Yeah. So it's especially the Knicks. Actually, the Knicks needed a wing, but like, you know, they had Knox there, Bridges there. They would have taken whoever they felt was best. Um, they already had 78 point guards. Yeah. But yeah <laughs> and yet they were still infatuated with Trey Young. But but the Nuggets there, I think Porter falling to them there was just a, the the perfect situation for them because it's like you said, like they they have one of the weirdest rosters in the league because they have like eight above average players and that are all either guards or forwards and centers, and Wilson Chandler is really the only wing. Like they have Will Barton listed as a guard forward, but he's six six. That's he's a two. I'm sorry, Tyler Lydon, Trey Lyles. They're not really playing on the wing. They literally have Richard Jefferson and Wilson Chandler. Um, so allowing sort of allowing like being able i should say to getting michael get to get michael porter at that stage and allowing him to sort of be the wing of quote unquote the future but also you still have wilson chandler so like if the if the nuggets reports are true from the nuggets front office that michael porter might not even play this year you have wilson chandler to sort of 
stay in that role because he's probably picking up his player option um, because there's not that much money out there this summer Uh, and allowing Michael Porter to sort of just grow into his own and sort of just, you know, grow with Jokic and, and, and I don't want to say Malik Beasley, sorry, Jokic and, and, and Millsap because he, he is like somewhat polished, right? Like, you know, he has a game. We just didn't get to see it because he was hurt all year. Um, Although my favorite, uh, highlight for Michael Porter was when he was sitting on the bench. I forget what game it was. He was sitting on the bench and he taps his boy next to him, and you could see him mouth. You can you can lip read, and he goes, "Bro, bro, there's so many baddies in here, bro." I just thought that was my favorite highlight of of the entire college season. Yes, um, absolutely. He's gonna be. You know what? I, I have a prediction. He's gonna be one of those guys that in three years, when he's playing at the level he's capable, you're gonna look back and go, "Man, imagine if Philly had taken him at ten. You're gonna go." Dang, they got Simmons at point. They've got Embiid in the middle. They've got Sarge at the four. They've got somebody shooting at, at two. But they're, you're going to be seeing. Can you imagine plugging him in at the three? Wow. Well, I think Philly's definitely going to have uh, several regrets from this. Not not regrets. I shouldn't say that they got an extra pick. This is definitely a a concerning draft for Philly fans. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll definitely yes. see what happens. Absolutely. Uh, oh, okay. So he was the MVP of All American Game. Gregor, great. Someone said this to me yesterday. They kind of got Harrison Barnes vibes oh, from Michael Porter. Heck no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I wanted to hear your hold opinion on, on hold that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, did they explain themselves at all? What do they mean? Okay. So we're talking about a guy who's who's a wing with like sort of a, a, of a jack of all trades skill set. Um, who was oh. very good in high school when he was sort of not at his athletic peak, but his athleticism and 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 height and and length was sort of put him on a on a level above everyone else. And then he went to college and he was still good, but over the course of time, this sort of the specialness, the allure, the the the, the glitz, the glimmer, sort of declined over time as players around him got better. And that's not to say obviously Harrison Barnes is a good player, but he's not what everyone was saying he was going to be because. He sort of basically peaked at the McDonald's All-American game. And that's what this guy was saying, especially with the back problems. You don't know what kind of player Michael Porter is going to be. If he's Harrison Barnes for, for this team with, with Millsap, Jokic, you know, uh, uh, Gary Harris, you know, th- then, okay, that's fine. But, like, they kind of got those vibes that, you know, this guy is not as good as people are, are, are making him out to be still good, but not the sort of game changing player that people are making. I out think, I think the narrative there, I think the comparison there, I think stops at the narrative because yeah, that that's like a, that's a like, that, that's a possible trajectory for Michael Porter's career, but comparing them as players, like there are two things in today's NBA that every general manager wants and needs. And those two things are length and shooting. Michael Porter is almost 6'11". Harrison Barnes is about 6'7 and a half. And Michael Porter is a <laughs> dead-eye shooter who can also create his own shot off the dribble. Harrison Barnes is not... Harrison Barnes can shoot the basketball, but Harrison Barnes is not, number one, a great shot creator, and number two, a knockdown shooter. He's a good shooter and a guy that can get a bucket for himself. He, I, That, I mean... Yeah, the narrative possibly, but as players, c- come on, come on, come on now. That's crazy. Hey, man, this is the NBA. You know it's That's- all narrative. That's all that matters here, right? <laughs> I forgot this is a Laker podcast, so yes. it's all- <laughs> yeah, Exactly, exactly. All right, so I got two more. I got two more quicks, uh, quick quick picks here for you, and I think 
one, one again is a little bit obvious. It's a guy who slipped and fell. Um, and that's Robert Williams to Boston. Um, I heard a fascinating quote about this pick and about the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics this past year were the only, even at full health, if they had all their guys, they were probably the only team in the league without a lob threat. Think about that. They don't have anybody on that roster that is a real threat on the lob, whether that's in transition or in a pick and roll situation. If he, at minimum, if Robert Williams contributes sixty uh, percent of what DeAndre Jordan does, and I, I think that's a little bit of a lazy comparison, but it's just very easy given his length and given where they both went. They both went to Texas A and M, obviously. But if you can get three yeah. plays a game, two plays a game, where he comes off the bench, gives you fifteen minutes, and gets in a pick and roll situation with Kyrie Irving, kind of like Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and catches a lob and, and a dunk, I don't care how easy it is or how it looks. That's two points in the basket. I mean, I think Williams is in a perfect situation. He's got one of the best coaching staffs, best ownerships to help kind of iron out what those so-called character issues or lack of work ethic and things like that that allegedly caused him to slip a little bit. He's not expected to contribute anything, really, for, for quite some time. Um, and I, I just think he's found it. He's got all the tools um, to be. And he's another – you mentioned fit earlier, Rick. He's got a guy that – I heard a crazy statistic. You know how many times he they, they track this stuff? You know how many times he rolled to the rim at Texas A&M this past year? Like in, in Enlighten me. Nine. Nine times. Rolled to the rim off of a screen nine times the whole season. Wow. Wow. Like, isn't that crazy? I, don't, I'm, I might have to verify that stat somewhere else, but I, I heard that on one of the broadcasts. That is a crazy misuse. Just total misuse. I mean, I understand it's college; it's a different game. It's not a pick and roll game, but I mean, the, it's just the potential there is is, is limitless. So um, I love him in Boston. I love him coming off the bench and being being a big that can help. You know, look look at the role Javale McGee played in the finals. The, the the traditional big may be obsolete, but in spots and in situations, Javale McGee contributed a lot in those. Especially, I think it was games two and three from blocking shots, protecting the rim, getting rebounds, and getting some easy easy buckets. And that's always going to have value, um, maybe just a little less value uh, than it once did. Uh, that's really, Yeah, I, I think that's really fair. Sorry, you, you reminded me because Robert Williams, for some reason, only, only rolled to the basket nine times. That reminded me of DeAndre Jordan and how DeAndre Jordan uh, signed on to play at Texas, for Texas A&M under uh, Coach Billy Gillespie, I think his name is. Yep. Um, but then he... He resigned before DeAndre got to uh, got to school, and then they hired Mark Turgeon, and DeAndre absolutely hated Mark Turgeon and had a terrible year and did not like he did not roll hard to the basket. He did not exhibit that much effort on defense, and people were, were saying, you know, wow, DeAndre Jordan's kind of trash. Um, but in reality, he just hated Mark Turgeon. Um, so I'm thinking, was there maybe some conflict between Robert Williams and, and Billy Kennedy? Maybe I, I don't know. Um, but I just think that's interesting. I think yeah, that's, no, that's that, really that is definitely very interesting. Very, very interesting. He's young. He's young. He's got plenty of time to you know develop and mature in, in his game and, and off the court as well. All right, I'm I'm going to save my uh, Robert Williams uh, uh, words because I, I kind of wanted to hit on that when we got to the Lakers pick. So okay. go ahead and give your next. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my last one is a guy you actually mentioned earlier, um, and it's it's Aaron Holiday. Um, I think the situation his his situation he found in um, Indiana is a good situation. They obviously have guards on the roster. He's not going to be expected to carry a heavy load. 
but I I like his game. Uh, I think a good way to sum his game up is he, you know, he obviously comes from a bloodline. He's got two brothers that are in the NBA, but if you are, he's listed six one. So what does that mean, Rick? He's about five eleven, five, 11 and a half. <laughs> like so he's listed six one. He averaged twenty a game in the Pac twelve as a junior. To even be the the caliber of player to get in to get a scholarship in the Pac twelve at six feet tall, much less I would I would love to know how many power five guards at six one and below average twenty a game in the last decade. Because I would yeah, think that it's not that many. He is an absolute dog. He can score from he can score all over the court. He's not necessarily a shooter, but I mean I think he shot over forty percent. Um, you know, it, not necessarily a shooter in the sense of like catch and shoot from the wing, but he'll be running the point probably with the second unit. So he's he can shoot the ball, he can get to the basket, he's quick, he's got okay length, um, not not wonderful, but again, someone who's that short, um, he's got enough length and he's quick. He's quick enough to stay in front. That's the biggest thing when you look at point guards defensively in today's NBA is you got to be quick enough to stay in front of these guys. It's one thing to lock them down. I mean, that's kind of like next level. But you look at your Russell Westbrook's, your Don Walls. Um, you got to be able to stay in front of these guys and at least give the, the help time to rotate over and protect you. So I love Aaron Holiday. I loved him as a prospect. There were actually rumors that he was locked into Phoenix at 16. And if you recall from the broadcast, when DeAndre Ayton was on the set and they asked him who he wanted to pick, he said, I hope they pick Aaron Holiday. I was like, let's go. And then sure enough, but uh, yeah, I would have been, man, I, I would have loved him. If he, I think he's one of those guys that really fits anywhere just based on his, his skill set. He's a good passer. Um, and like I said, great, great work at, you know, when Lonzo Ball came in, you know, he started, um, he started all 32 games as a freshman. Lonzo Ball came in, went right to the bench, didn't gripe a minute about it. Gave up like five, five minutes a night or so and came off the bench. Um, his stats still went up, but I mean, that's, that says a lot about him as a player too, that you're willing to let some hotshot kid come in and just take your starting spot, um, for the good of the team. So I, I love Holiday as a prospect. I think he's going to be successful, maybe in that Darren Collison type of role. And it's it's kind of ironic that he's, of course, now on the team with Darren Collison. But um, but yeah, so Aaron Holiday was my third guy that I was, um, you know, wish had gone to Phoenix and was happy to see go uh, in round one. You sort of took the words out of my mouth there. Aaron Holiday was also another guy that Lakers fans were sort of hopeful for uh, because that's sort of that backup point guard spot behind Lonzo Ball is sort of still a, still a a void on our roster um which i also think it's hilarious because aaron holiday is now one of four ucla players on the on the pacers along with tj leaf collison and i gotta bow you um i i think you're right he can literally just fill be the next generation of Dar- of darren collison uh the, the like you said high character guy who doesn't mind just sort of coming in and playing his role which he's going to need to do because victor oladipo is going to have a very high usage rate um, and, and he's basically learning under Darren Collison, another UCLA grad who's sort of been on teams before where he's been the point guard along with a player who is a ball dominant player. Um, I think it's going to be very important for him because he's not going to be the sort of ball dominant point guard, playmaking distributor. He's going to be the guy who's going to play with another another ball a ball handler, another playmaker. Um, I think obviously he's going to have to you know he's going to have to be a spot up shooter in some ways, uh, just having Oladipo. Um, on the floor, uh, but I think that was a great pick for him, a, a great pick for them, I should say, uh, to sort of move along into the future with. I also think it's funny because Aaron Holiday is obviously Drew Holiday's younger brother, um, and Drew Holiday is married to Lauren Holiday, uh, Lauren Cheney, uh, uh, women's women's soccer player, U.S. women's soccer player. And it's funny because Lauren Holiday met uh, D- uh, Drew Holiday, 
I think it was on the set of a commercial or something, or maybe at an event. And she goes, Hey, aren't you Darren Collison? Because they look alike. <laughs> Is that true? Is that confirmed? Yeah, that's hundred percent true. Uh, and drew and drew holiday goes, no, no. He laughs. Cause they do look funny. Look, look similar. Um, he laughs. He goes, no, I'm drew holiday. And Lauren and Lauren Chaney at the time goes, Oh, it's okay. You're a little bit cuter than Darren Collison. Anyway, <laughs> boom, sparks fly. They're married now. <laughs> That is crazy. That's a great story. That is. A- I think it's fitting now that Aaron Holiday is on the team with his uh, his his older brothers lookalike. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Shout out! Shout out to Sam Rodriguez, aka from Magnum, for that story. She told me that. So um, the, the, those are those are stories you only get from the from the the hallways of the, of the NBA Ventures media offices <laughs> in Secaucus. <laughs> um, so yeah, we went for about an hour without talking much about the Lakers. So now I got to steer it completely. You know, I always thought cliffhangers were for television shows and not podcasts, but I guess I'm like a little Uzi Vert. Now I do what I want. Uh, that wraps up part one of the NBA Draft Review with Adam Richardson. Please remember part two will be out on Wednesday, so feel free to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you get your shows. And go ahead and subscribe where you do. Rate, review us. It's how you let people know uh, that you're actually listening. Uh, and I hope to see you guys on Wednesday. <laughs>